Okay, so here's the question. What's more common, good or bad, in the world? Neither. Neither. Neither? Hmm, it's a very good answer. I think it's the right answer. But what's what's really, in our eyes at least, more common? I think we focus more on the bad, unfortunately, because that's what people throw into our faces. We focus more on the bad, right? Bad news makes news. You don't see how many babies were born today. Although some might say that's bad news anyway, but I definitely (laughs) wouldn't. I'm sorry, that was funny. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it really, once you have children, you realize that it's the greatest thing ever because we never question our own identity. We were once children of somebody and they dealt with our noise and we never questioned ourselves. So... And we still never question ourselves. Everyone else can be wrong and evil, but me? No, I need to exist, right? So our existence is something very powerful. But anyway, um, so what we, exactly, Melody, we focus more on the bad. That's what's more newsworthy. So this is, this is something that was quoted by Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who passed away just uh, two weeks ago. And I find it so fascinating and true. I felt like it's a good intro to what we're going to be speaking about. The fact that bad news is so newsworthy, it means that good is what really is deep from within. That's not, I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting him exactly, but that's the idea. The fact that news is so new, the bad news is so newsworthy, it means that there's a deep goodness from within, meaning we really want good. And whenever bad happens, we're like, oh, how did it happen? Let's read it. Let's point it out. Right. When you, when you have a beautiful wall and there's a red mark on the wall, everyone notices the red mark. Excuse me. You didn't notice all the white. We notice the red mark because we have good. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. We should focus on the good for sure. But the fact that we even look at bad in the first place and point it out so Often and so uh, commonly, uh, it's always brought out. It's because deep from within, we have a sense of good that we want to see. And that's, that's really the essence of what I want to get to is how to deal with bad, how to deal with bad people, how to deal with the bad within me and um, bad in the world, like the bad inclination. People have told me, you know, this world is so bad. Why is it fair? Why is it fair? There's so much challenges, evil inclination, drives that drive us the wrong way. It's not fair. Life is not fair. Good is so hard to do and it's so hard to find. It's not fair. And the truth is, the fact that we constantly point out the bad is because we want good so badly. And that want for good really tells me we don't realize how powerful good is. That's the problem. We don't realize how powerful that good is. So, I want to start off with the story of the Gemara, the story of the Talmud, which is in Baba Metziah, called the Middle Gate, Pei Bet 82a. It's a Talmud in Pei Bet, a great story. There was this man called Resh Lakish who came eventually the greatest rabbi of, one of the greatest rabbis of the Talmud. And um, Resh Lakish was a bandit. <laughs> he was a thief, a, the worst person that you could imagine. I'm talking about theft in ways that you can't believe. The worst, the worst of the worst. He was the last Jew that was to become in any way involved in Judaism. He was the worst. And yet he became one of the greatest rabbis in the Talmud. His story is told about Rish Lakish that he saw a rabbi called Rabbi Yochanan, who was on the other side of the river. Rabbi Yochanan was extremely good looking. And uh, Rish Lakish said to himself, I want to be with this man because Rabbi Yochanan was so good looking. Uh, okay, so even from the times of the Talmud, you see stories like this. Well, even in the Torah, you see stories like that. But Rish Lakish felt this man is so good looking. I want to jump over the river to be with him. And Rabbi Yoch- and, and Rish Lakish jumped over this massive river. He was a giant, big guy, jumps right over the river and gets to Rabbi Yochanan. 
Uh, you've got this very holy, special rabbi who's standing in front of this bandit called Rish Lakish. Sounds like a great band, right? Rish Lakish. That was his name and he was a bandit. So Rabbi Yochanan's standing in front of him and he looks at him in his eyes and he says, wow, such strength. That needs to be used for Torah. Rish Lakish, the bandit, looks back at Rabbi Yochanan and says, such beauty. That beauty deserves for sleeping with, for women. That beauty is a waste. You are wasting that beauty in the world of spirituality and you should be using it for physicality. So Rish Lakish looks at Rabbi Yochanan and says, such beauty? Can't be, why are you studying Torah? Rabbi Yochanan looks at Rish Lakish first. He was the first one to respond and says, such strength, such strength. That should be used for Torah. Then Rabbi Yochanan looks back at Rish Lakish and says to him, listen, I have a sister who's more beautiful than I. She's really the most beautiful person in the world. And I know that me as Rabbi Yochanan, with my influence, if you use that strength for Torah, if you come back, you will be able to marry my sister. Rishlakish says, really? You really think? Rabbi Yochanan says, yes. And Rishlakish, this bandit, says, okay. Makes the commitment. And the Talmud says that he tries to jump back over the river and doesn't succeed. One of the reasons is because when you put your energy into spirituality, you suddenly lose or weaken your energy in physicality. You don't lose, but you weaken it because it's not important to you anymore. So all of a sudden, Rabbi Yochanan has transformed this man, Rish Lakish. That was his transformation moment. And from then on, eventually he marries the sister of Rabbi Yochanan, and the story is happily there and after, or whatever, however you say it. So that's really the story of Rish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan. What was the story there? You have a terrible person who jumped over a river, about to do something terrible. And Rabbi Yochanan says one word, two words. I believe in you. That strength, that strength, I believe in that strength. And it could be used for something much better than just physical pleasures. Physical pleasures are important in Judaism. We're not against them. But there's something greater that could be done with that strength. And that's what turned him because he said, I believe in you. Those were the words, I believe in you. This is what I want to speak about tonight. I want to speak about how, like Omri said, bad and good, both at the end of the day, bring good. At the end of the day, both bad and good will eventually bring good. And that's what we want to, we want to get bad is real, real and it's, it exists. But how can we turn that into something good? How can we have the right approach to bad that comes our way, especially when it's not in our control? Okay. And I'm going to go through some Kabbalah to explaining how this works in terms of all of us, how we work, what our energies are. And it's all based on this week's Torah portion. So it's amazing. It's fascinating stuff. So just stay with me because this is, this is what I want to get to. So there's three types of people or what we call there's three types of energies and people, personalities, and they are, everyone has one of those. And if you're able to plug in to that energy and strengthen it, you will become the best you. Okay, these are the three energies. This is brought down in the book, Mikhtav Meliau, uh, the writings of Eliyahu Desla, big rabbi in the beginning of this century, of the 20th century. And he w- was beyond. And he writes something f- 
profound. Okay, so he he basically says that there's three. You have to know what your tchunat hanefesh is, what your inner soul wants, what you are deep from within. He says there's three types of tchunot hanefesh. There's the chesed people. There's the gvura people, and then there's the emet people. Chesed people are the kind, blessy, loving. I know I might have mentioned this in the past, but I'm doing this in order to get to stuff that we're going to learn in a minute, which is why I'm doing this class in the first place. So bear with me if you've heard me say this already. So there's three types of um, energies in people. Some people are very chesedi, very kind. What does that mean? They just want to give to others. You meet them and they're like, ah, wow, I want to bless you. They're called bracha people. I want to bless you. I only want you to have good. Can I give you I want to give it here. Take this. You want, oh, I'll give you a cake. And it's just blessing, good, kindness, lovey. Everything's at peace. You know, that meditate and the goodness of this world, right? There's that type of personality. Does anyone recognize that type of people? It's called a bracha person, a chesed person. Then there's a gevura person. That's somebody who's restrictive and disciplined. Somebody who always likes to be on time does everything because it needs to be done right. This is the time that you do it. We need to be on time. Why am I being kind? Because if I am being kind, it's not because I'm, it's deep from, it's because this is what I need to do in order to be a good person. There's the Tov personality, which says, I need to be good. I need to be kind. I need to be, uh, I need to just be punctual. Everything. It's a very strict personality. It's a very um, uh, time-based personality. And if things don't go their way in time, they get very upset and hurt. Very organized. That's tough. You'll see this in kids. Some kids, uh, their stuff is everywhere. Some kids, everything's so organized. The ones that are organized are more tough personalities. Also, you'll see that expressed in the way they speak to people. They're also organized in the way they speak. They're not as just throwing out blessings and kindness and hugs to everybody. Even the way that they express themselves in it, with their own stuff shows me what kind of personality they are. Okay, so you have a chesed type. You have a tov type of personality, a gevura type of personality, which means a disciplined personality. And then you have somebody called a Emet personality, truth personality, or Chaim personality. That's somebody who looks at you and they say, I'm not seeing a human being. I'm seeing angels. I'm seeing energies that are coming out. They see the microisms of everything. They see the stars and how they all interconnect and the world all comes together into it. Right, that's the Chaim personality. That's the people that see everything as interconnected. They see the deeper thing. They don't see cells. They see how, you know, everything beyond it. They see the depth of depths. That's what they like. When they study anything Jewish, it's not just, you know, on the outside, the story. They want to get into the depths of it, the Kabbalah of it. Kabbalah is Chaim personality. That's getting into the depth of the Torah. Okay, so that's the three personalities. And they were expressed in our forefathers of the Jewish people. Abraham, our forefather, he was chesed, kindness. And we're going to explain how he found kindness. Then came Isaac, and he was different. He wasn't with everybody. He was very internal. He was deep within contemplating how he can change himself and become better. How he can internalize his being and remove the bad of him and improve the good of him. And then came Jacob. Jacob was the man who sat in a tent and studied Torah all day. He wanted to know the truth of everything. He, Jacob, was in a way a mix of the first two. And what he did was, he had in him chesed, he had in him a gevura personality, but he really wanted to know the depth behind everything on a deeper level and spent years studying uh, Torah. Years, years and years studying Torah. So this is, this is what I want to get to. So here's the story of 
Isaac. We're now in the parasha, in the portion of Toldot. In the portion of Toldot, there's many stories. Let me just give you a summary of what happens in this Torah portion. Please don't fall asleep because it's a story. And in this story, there's thousands of questions that you should be asking. We all know this story, but there's thousands and thousands of scenarios and cases which are extreme and they don't make sense. So let's go through some of the stories, some of the questions that come out, and then answer them all in one big mush as much as we can tonight. Okay? So this is this is the story of Toldot. Abraham has a child called Isaac. And Isaac looked exactly like Abraham. Looked the same. Why did he look the same? Why did Abraham and Isaac look the same? Well, he was his dad after all. But Judaism says there are some people that don't look so much like their dad. Now, Isaac looked two dots like his father. Why? So our rabbis teach us that there were cynics. There were people that used to question the validity of Isaac. They would say, Abram didn't have a child for a hundred years. Suddenly he has a kid. And you know when he has his kid? Immediately after his wife was abducted by a king, Avimelech. Abram's wife, Abram was traveling with his wife. His wife gets kidnapped. This is, this is the story. And this king tries to be with her. She's beautiful. And Abraham pretends it's not my wife because if they knew it's his wife, they would kill him. That's the rule in those days. You don't be with someone until you kill the husband. So he pretends it's his sister. Sarah gets taken. And miraculously, Avimelech can't do anything. He gets sick and he can't do anything. He realizes Something crazy is going on. God comes to speak to him. He realizes, oh my goodness, this is the wife of Abraham. What was I doing? Immediately after that story, Abraham has a child. Ooh, the cynics would say. A hundred years he didn't have a child and suddenly he has a kid. So what did God do? He fixed it in one second. Today we have DNA. Back then, you didn't need DNA if you looked the same. It was pretty obvious, right? So he made Isaac look exactly like Abraham. But here's the problem of this story, this little story. This is the first story that happens in the Torah. This is the little problem of this story. Abraham wasn't the one that wasn't fertile. Abraham could have kids. He had Yishmael before Isaac. Abraham was fertile. Abraham could have children. It was Sarah who couldn't have children. So what were these cynics saying? Oh, it's only because it's nothing to do with Abraham. It's to do with Sarah not being able to have children. She was barren. Abraham could have children. And this is a very powerful idea that cynics are cynics just because they want to be. These cynics knew that Abraham didn't have the problem. They knew it. And yet they pretended that she, they pretended that Abraham's child is, oh, that's not really, they questioned the validity of Abraham Avinu and his child. That's how negative works. It takes truth and twists it. It takes a real story and makes it a lie. That's the start of this Torah portion. Already evil's kicking in, making fake news, like they say. And uh, and it's pretending that the child of Abraham is from another person, but it couldn't have been because it wasn't Abraham's problem to have children. Anyone, Everyone get what I'm telling you? Okay. So already we see from the beginning of the Torah this little mention of how Isaac looked like Abraham. And I want to tell you he was very different in personality. So Isaac is now 40 years old and he's trying to have a child and he can't. He prays before together with his wife in order to have ch a child. And it says, God answers 
him, even though it's Rivka, the wife of Isaac. You have Abram, Sarah, Yitzchak, Rivka. The wife of Isaac was also praying. They both prayed together. They went to Mount Moriah, the holiest place in the world where Isaac was meant to be sacrificed. And they said, let's pray for a baby. They couldn't have children and they started praying. What does it say? God answered Isaac's prayer. He didn't answer Rivka's prayer. Why? Because Isaac was the son of a righteous person. He was a tzaddik ben tzaddik. Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, was a righteous girl, a righteous woman, the daughter of a very evil man called Lavan. And the Talmud says, God answered him. That's why it says law to him. Because you can't compare, you cannot compare the righteousness of a child who comes from a righteous person to a righteous person that comes from a wicked person. And God answered that person first. Question, does that make sense to you? What's better? A kid that comes from a a good home, goody good home and stays good? Or a kid that comes from a very evil, bad place and becomes good? What do you think is better in your eyes? Wait, Rabbi, just to clarify. So you're saying that Hashem didn't answer Rivka because she was born from a, from uh I'll tell you the language. Of, I'll tell you the language of Russia. Okay. It says that God answered him and Rivka came pregnant and she had a baby. She came pregnant. Okay. So God answered Isaac. Why him? Him and not her, Rashi says. Because you can't compare the prayer of a tzaddik, the son of a wicked person, to the prayer of a tzaddik, the son of a tzaddik. That's why God answered him and not her. Does anyone find this weird? Yeah, actually. Right? Isn't that weird? Isn't that why crazy? Should it matter who why should it matter who your parents are if you're a tzaddik? Exactly. Forget even where you come from. What, what's this? As long as you're righteous. But I would say even more. Somebody who comes from a very bad place, I think that's and stays and becomes good. You could have been some kind of drug dealer and you decided to leave it all and become a good person. Isn't that more righteous than somebody who's from a home of Abraham? Like, hello. First question. Carries on the story. Abraham, Isaac has two, well, Rivka feels that she's got twins. She, well, she doesn't know she's got twins. She has something weird going on in her stump, in her fetus, in her stomach, right? Her, her, how would you say in her, in her, in her, um, womb, womb, exactly. Something, thank you. Something weird is going on when she passes by a place of idol worship. The child wants to come out. And when she passes by the place of spirituality of, of Torah, the child wants to come out, starts kicking. She's like, what's going on? I have fighting going on. And why, why, what's happening here? So she goes to find out what happens. She goes to speak to other people that were very spiritual at that time, very holy at that time. The, the house of Shem and Ever, the, the Torah house of Shem and Ever. She goes to their house and um, she asks them what's going on. So they tell her, listen, you have two nations in your womb. Two nations there. And one is always going to be stronger than the other. But the, the bigger one will always be helping the younger one. And then she gave birth and she has twins. That's what it says. And we know one of them came out. The first one that came out was Esav. Why Esav? It comes from the word done, finished. He was a finished product. Why? Because he came out like a man. Filled with hair, admoni, red. He was angry. And they called him Esav. 
And then came out his brother, who was holding onto the heel of Esav. And his name was Jacob. Here, he, it says he was called Jacob because he was holding onto the heel. That's what his name means, to hold onto the heel. He was holding onto the heel of Esav, saying, I'm meant to come out first. I'm meant to be the firstborn. So Jacob, we all know, is the righteous kid. And Esav is the wicked kid. What's very interesting is, again, when it says that there was wo- there was twins in her womb, Rashi says it's twins without a word Aleph. Later on, it says twins with the word Aleph in it, Tumim, without Tumim. Why? Rashi says, because here there was a tzaddik and a rasha in her womb. There was a righteous child and an evil child. Question, can a child be evil before they're even born? Where's their free will? How can it be that Esav was considered, that's how we always learn this story, as like an evil kid? How can you be considered as evil if, if you weren't even yet born? Do you not have free will? You understand the question? Where was his free will? We all know that the children grew up and Esav was started to be a man of Tzaid. That's the background that I have here. A hunter, constantly in the fields, always fighting, killing. But Yaakov was a simple person. Yosheva O'Halim, always studying, sitting and studying. He was complete. He didn't need anything outside. He was tam. He was complete with his life. He never said, I need more stuff. He just said, I'm good where I am. I don't need to accumulate more stuff. Never went out of his house. Sat and studied and studied. He was also a shepherd, by the way. So don't think he didn't go out in terms of being healthy. He was out there, but he wasn't an ish tzayid. He didn't look for more stuff. We're talking about a very wealthy family, by the way. Where is the free will? Oh, you dictate for Esau to be bad and for Jacob to be good? Fine, this is an unfair world. This is not a fair world. It's like this kid is going to be bad from the beginning. Really? So where's his free will? This kid is going to be good from the beginning. That's how we look at people. There's the good kids and the bad kids in school. This is why, this is where I'm getting to. I want to talk about how to deal with bad. And this is it. The fact that we label it. We see a kid in school, bad kid. A kid in school, good kid. I was called bad kid. If believe it or not, I really was. But, you know, but I do believe it. I'm still, you know, got lots to work on. But, but bad, bad kids. We all grow up seeing and we get labeled good kid, bad kid, good kid, bad. This one's listening. Good boy. Good girl. Good. You know, it, Where's their free will? If they're labeled that way, then why do you expect anything better off them? And this is the forefather of the nations that's going to cause lots of trouble. That's Esav. So Esav says to Jacob, uh, this is the next part of the story. Esav comes along and says, ah, he was busy in a war. He was in a, busy in a battle, kills a leader Ephron and uh, I think it's Ephron or either him or Nimrod kills a leader and he comes back from a major war and he's tired it says that Abraham died on this day and after Esav is tired from killing and fighting he sees that Jacob is cooking a special soup and he says please give me that soup now Halitani put it in my throat he says to his brother, I want it now. And Jacob says, I'll do it. No problem. He was that, he was like almost, you know, angry. Jacob says, no problem. Sell me your firstborn ship. Sell me your firstborn ship and I'll give you the soup. Now, what's with that? Sell me your firstborn ship and I'll give you the soup. And that's exactly what he did. Asaph says, ah, who needs a firstborn ship anyway? Ah, waste of time. Give me the soup. It's like, it's like somebody who um, leaves his home 
and you know he leaves his parents okay goes to live in somewhere else that's fine no problem you know at some point you need to leave home that's fine but at some point you know uh the you know the kid instead of going home to eat with his mom when she invites him he says no nah, i'm just going to go to i'm going to go to the i'm going to go to the restaurant to eat tonight and she finds out that the restaurant that he went to is right opposite the road it's like hello not only did he see you. okay fine whatever but you went you ditched my food and you went opposite the road that's a bit mean and she sees him opposite the road in the restaurant he's like hey what's going on obviously she's going to be nice like it's i don't need your i don't need your dinners right that's asaph was saying i don't need what's the firstborn ship it's worthless to me because he thought that anything spiritual is worthless and he sold it Jacob buys it. So what's with that? Okay, next story. Okay, there's a famine. There's, there's another whole aspect. There's another whole story here, which I'm not going to go to. But then Isaac starts getting old. He sees that he can't see properly anymore. And he calls it, he gets to the same age as his father. Rashi tells me that, by the way, when you get to the same age as one of your parents, you need to start being worried, says. Not worried because that might happen to you, but worried. Let's see the language he says here. If a person gets to the same period of time as his parents, you should start being worried at least five years before, from five years before and from five years after. Because normally when you have to have a special merit to prolong your life more than the person that came before you and you you need to be worried meaning you need to make sure you have good merits okay well it's an interesting tidbit that we believe in so now isaac says he's getting old asaph's gone on his ways jacob's gone on his ways and isaac's asaph says oh by the way as soon as asaph and yaakov was born it says asaph loved uh, isaac loved asaph he loved him. And it says Rebecca loved Jacob because he was a goody-goody kid. That's strange. Why did Isaac love his bad child? He was a bad kid. Why did he love him so much? You hear the question? Why did he love him so much? Very strange. Should you not love a bad kid? but we learned that story too. So he calls his son. He says, Esav, come. I want to go and get me food. I need to sit down and eat to bless you. And there's a powerful message behind that as well. But Jacob, uh, Esav goes out and he starts hunting for the best animal, best food for his dad. In the meantime, Rivka hears. She says, hey, Jacob, quick, go and take the blessing of your father. Put on, put on some some clothes that your, you know, Jacob says, but he's going to realize I'm not Asaph. So he says, no, here, take some fur from the animal and put it on you. You will feel like Asaph and he will bless you. And he does that and he goes in and then he, Asaph says, wait, wait, how did you get food so quickly? Uh, Isaac says to, J- to the person that came in, uh, uh, Isaac can't see. And Jacob walks into the room, nervous. He has a plate of food. And he says, Daddy, the food's ready. And Isaac cannot see. So he says, come close. How did you come so quickly? And Jacob says, well, you know, uh, God sent the food to me quickly. Ah, who's, that's not like Esau to speak. That sounds like Jacob. He says, wait a second, come here, come here. You sound like Esau. I want to feel you a second. He starts feeling him. And he says, wait a second. Your voice is the voice of Jacob. You say the words of Hashem. You're very soft spoken. But your hands are the hands of Esau. This is the message of the Jewish people, by the way, till today. The Jewish power is through the voice. Not through fighting. Not through smashing windows. Or anything of the sort. Our way of fighting, no matter what, is through our voice. That's our way of fighting. And it's been a very good way of fighting because we've won till now. We're still here. 
he says, wait a second, I feel... And then he blesses him. Very weird story. I, I don't get it. You, you hear his voice, you can't recognize from his voice that it's Jacob. You can't recognize. It, I, I don't get it. So if, if you made, what is a blessing anyway? What's the point of a blessing? What are you going to do to the, what's that blessing really? What is a blessing? Isn't that a good question? Like what, what's the whole thing of, oh, I'm going to bless you. What, why is it so important that it's going to be the future of the people? Why is that so important? And there's many, many other questions here. Right? Didn't, didn't Jacob know? And also, wait a second. If the blessing was switched over, so it wasn't intentional from Isaac. So why does it work anyway? Isaac didn't even intend to give the right blessing in the first place. So how does that work? He, he blesses him, fight, thinks it's another kid, thinks it's Esav and blesses him thinking it's Esav, but really it's Jacob. So why would that blessing work if it's not got the right intentions? There's thousands of questions here. Why did he bless him at the end if he didn't feel right? There's hundreds of weird things. Why did he love Esau so much? Why did he want to bless Esau and not bless Jacob? What is going on with this story? I can ask you hundreds of questions, but I'm not going to ask you anymore. Because it's too, the class is almost over and I've already, the talk is almost over and already only, I've only told you questions. So who was Isaac? Why was he different than Jacob? Okay, we're going to answer all of these in a very short amount of time. What's bad? What's evil? What's our bad inclination? Let me tell you a crazy midrash. When the world was created, it says that when God completed the world, it says, Vayar Elohim Kitov, right? By God. He's not physical. He's past, present, and future. He saw that the world was good. He doesn't just say good. It says tov me'od. It was very good. He saw that the world was very good. Why very good? The Midrash says, what's the word very good? What did he mean? And by the way, when God sees, it's not just in the present. It's the past, present, and future. He saw that the entire future of the universe, all the problems, all the bad Everything is very good. Why is it so good? Do you know what the rabbis say? Do you know what very good means? Why very good? It's the evil inclination. That's what he saw was very good. He saw the entire universe all in the future. He said the evil inclination that we have, the bad that exists in this world, that is very good. Okay, wait a second. Bad is very good? Really? So what's the message here? What does that mean? Because that's why we'll understand why Isaac loved. Why did Isaac love Esau, who was a bad kid? Did he have free will? All of these questions need to be answered. We're going to answer them all. So the whole world is dependent on the evil inclination. The existence of this world that we're in is dependent on evil. Why? Why are we here? We're here to make the good choices and see good and choose good over bad. That's what we're here to do. That's going to be the greatest pleasure for us. We're here to see, to make what we call a Kiddush Hashem, to sanctify God's name. What does that mean? Not in the way that you might think. Sanctify God's name doesn't mean that you have to um, all day long have a sign saying, I believe, or something like that. It's not what it means to sanctify God's name. It means to see the light in the reality of the world that we're in, constantly. Now, that comes from making right choices. We can never make a choice, a good choice, over a bad choice if there's no bad. We have to fight to see the good and that's called making a Kiddush Hashem. But here's the message. If somebody then does bad, guess what? 
he also makes a Kiddush Hashem. Do you know why? Because in that darkness of the bad that that person does, eventually justice comes. And God's name is made great as well. Good comes out as well. Okay, you think about all the people that did bad in history. They are labeled as bad and they are the message of bad. Whenever we want to talk about bad or someone's doing something wrong, they'll throw the Hitler word. There's actually a name for that nowadays. Right? We label bad so quickly. And even when somebody does bad, he bring in a bad way, obviously, he's not going to get good for that. Even when somebody does bad, when somebody does good, of course, they, sh- they by seeing the good over the bad, you're doing a good thing. You're making a Kiddush Hashem. But when somebody does bad, through the justice that comes to them eventually, through the judgment that comes to them, or the bad that comes upon them eventually, then too, a Kiddush Hashem is made. So either way, throughout history, when God saw the entire history, he saw the evil inclination, he said, even that is good. It's very good. Because from there, there'll be a great light as well. The world will see what good is. Because that's what we're meant to do, is find good in this world, in a world which has good and bad. If there's no bad, of course you're going to find good. It's everywhere. It has to be something that you look for and bring out. So, there are three different personalities that we said at the beginning. There's the bracha personality, the blessing chesed personality. There's the tov personality. That's the person that's always orderly. That's the person that's always on time, strict. That's the strict personality. And then there's the deep thinking personality, the Chaim personality. Not that anyone else is not thinking, but he thinks in everything from the worlds, the stars, like we said at the beginning. How was Abraham, what was Abraham's energy? Kindness, love. That was his energy. So how did he, overcome the bad in him all through chesed constant the world was in chaos before abraham came theft murder the worst the most ridiculous things were being done molech terrible relationships no one was nothing was consent nothing you can't even imagine comes abraham what does he do he comes the wealthiest person of his time he changes the course of history of, of, of the world. Do you know what he did? Something fascinating. <laughs> He's the wealthiest man. He created this massive field, the size of a country of today. Massive field. And you know what he did in it? Planted hundreds of trees. And he said, everyone come in, come, come, eat, eat. Anyone, free food. Suddenly droves of people coming in. And do you know what he said? Do you know what he said? He said, anyone who comes can eat. And his name started spreading around the world. Do you know why he did that? Because he said, that's what God does to me as well. He says, that's what Abraham, from a young age, he contemplated. He said, I need to do chesed because that's what God does. All day. Do you know what it says? What's God doing all day long? He's infinite. What's he doing all day long? Do you know what the Talmud says? He feeds everything from the horns of the deers, even those need to be fed in the right nutrients that they need, to the eggs of the lice, the smallest little beings. All of them need to be fed and God's always feeding everything. Yes, we have food constantly. You know, have you ever heard of a pack? This is what Rabbi Miller says. Have you ever thought about a, a, a tin of beans that creates more beans? Imagine going to the shelf of a, of a grocery store and the grocery store constantly reproduces itself. That would be absurd. That would be the most amazing thing. But that's what God's doing all the time. You have an apple, puts it in the, put, it in the, put the seed in the ground, you eat the apple, enjoy it, and then you get more, thousands more. That's chesed. And this is happening all the time. We are surrounded in kindness and love that you cannot imagine but we ignore it. And Abram says, I, we, we can't, can't constantly ignore this because that's why the world's going bad. Do you know what we need to do? I need to change history. Make a field and just, he was the first outreach Shabbat rabbi. 
And he said, everyone just come in. Food, come on. Everyone started coming in. And suddenly this noise came around like there's a kind guy in the world. It's insane. He's wealthy, successful. He overcame nine kingdoms, tried to kill him. And he went and fought in order to save a life. Didn't take a penny from that battle. Unheard of. Didn't take a penny because he just came to save a life. That was Abraham. Chesed, chesed. He said, and through that, that was his way to destroy bad. What happens when you have too much kindness like that? Too much of Abraham's energy. Do you know what happens? You start ignoring your internal problems. You know this. You all know this. Do you know what happens when you do too much good? When you're organized and you get things going and you do a lot of good and you're, you're, you're busy doing You stop thinking about yourself and how you fall short. You don't question yourself. You don't internalize yourself as much. Somebody who's too engrossed in the world of chesed, love and kindness and goodness, doesn't question their internal uh, bad. Abram for sure did that. But the effect to the world was we need a new energy. Because if there's just chesed in the world, just kindness, 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 and that's the effect that the world is having, is having, then eventually bad will, will diminish. Bad is diminished because we're not questioning bad. We're not thinking about bad. We're not questioning our inner selves. And we need to internalize ourselves. That's what he says. So that's what Yitzchak did to the world. That's what Yitzchak brought to the world. He looked like his dad, but he was very different to his dad. He wasn't the same person. And that's why he was a tzaddik ben tzaddik. He ne- he, yes, he was the son of a righteous person, but he was very different. Oh, he was different. And that's what made him special. It wasn't that he was the son of. It was the fact that he maintained his own personality, even in a home which had good in it, he questioned and thought and said, but where can I grow in my own way? That takes something special. And that was his merit to bringing his children. Okay? That's what, that's what Isaac was. That's what his energy was. Different to Abraham who went externally. Isaac was the person that looked inside. That was his way of fixing himself. I, Abraham's way of fixing bad was by doing good. That has a danger to it. Isaac said, I need to look inward. And he started looking inward. And he submitted himself completely and thought within himself, how can I destroy my bad? Until he completely removed bad from him. That's why he was called the God of Isaac during his lifetime. He was considered as the holiest of, of all in terms of his level of purity he got to. He was the holiest. It was... An absolute submission. You know, Isaac was the only one that never left Israel. He had to stay in the land of Israel because he was on a special holiness. He couldn't leave. So why was, what's the message here? And how does this answer all our questions? Okay. Um, What's the message? The message is, when we get too busy doing good things, which is something we should do, we start ignoring the mistakes and stop internalizing them. When you have too many Abrahams, you need Yitzchaks in you. And we all need this. So a bracha personality needs to also work on the tov. It's true that through chesed you can remove the bad. But there needs to also be this internalizing, this moment of reflection of who am I? This is, this is where I want to get to because this is what happened. So Esav was the child of Isaac. Isaac has two children. One comes out really good. One comes out really bad. Was it his, was he born that way? Did he have free will? Yes, he had free will. He wasn't bad yet. It appeared to be that he was bad from a young age. He was wild. He had this crazy energy. He, as soon as he was even in the womb, he was trying to come out in the time of idol worship. It was crazy amount of energy. What was that energy? It looked bad. 
And Isaac said, I know this energy. If he's able to overcome it the same way I do, if he's able to use strength, internalize, if he can use that energy that he has, right? Because he had a crazy energy. If he's able to use that energy that he has and channel it, because together, like, like Rish Lakish, like the story I told you in the beginning, when somebody has this crazy energy for bad, it, that itself could be used for good. That energy in itself of Esav could have been used to make him the same level of Isaac. And Isaac knew this. And that's why Isaac loved him. Because when you love somebody, it means you give to them more. And Isaac was constantly giving and giving and giving to Esau his attention. And he wanted to bless him. Why did he want to bless him? Because he said, I want him to come out with success. I want him to be using that energy for the good. I want him to channel that energy for the good. Jacob, he's already good. It's Asaph that has that bad energy that I need to channel for the good. And that's really the rule that we learn from the story of Isaac and Jacob. The rule is we need to constantly try to overcome the evil in us and never be distracted from it. Now, there's three types of personalities. There's the bracha personality, the chesed, the good, the kind, the loving, the bracha. Give, give, give. But then there's a challenge to that personality. They don't question their own individual reality. They don't question themselves. They're too busy giving. They don't question themselves. You know, somebody who's doing a lot of good, you know what they say? I'm fine. Oh, I, I said something wrong. Fine. It's good. You know, I don't need to fix it. I don't need to say it's fine. It's all good. Right? Because I'm so good with everyone else. I feel good with myself. I feel like I'm good enough. I'm doing enough good. That's what happens with a bracha personality. But then you need that person that internalizes you. It, it looks in. And by the way, this is the final point. When it comes to dating, now I've got your attention. But when it comes to dating, you always want to try and look for somebody that has one of the things you have. So there's some familiarity. And somebody who has something you don't have. Why? Because that way they will be able to fix you in the area that you need to be fixed. Because when you strengthen yourself, let's say with bracha, you need to also strengthen yourself with punctuality and being on time and being organized. Okay, remember we said there's three types of people, three types of nefesh, three types of energies that people have. One is a bracha energy. Give, chesed, give, give, give. That's the good. There's a bad side to it. We didn't even discuss that yet. But generally, there's, there's give, give, give. Then there's another person that's organized, organized. Everything needs to be on time. Punctuality, on time. And then there's another person that's chaim, that looks at things, everything from a deep level. Every person has one of those, which is their strongest. And the second one, which is also very strong. There's one of them that they're lacking in. We all have something. We all need all three. We all need to work on all three. So here's the point. When somebody gets married with the other side, what happens is you combine. When, when you get married, you combine. And you want to be similar. You want to find similarities, familiarity. That's for sure. But you also need to fill the void in one of those areas. So uh, me, personally, I'm a bracha and I'm a chayim. I'm a person that just wants to give, love, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm also a Chaim personality, which means I like to look at things on a deep level. I don't take things for granted. I grew up in a, in a very religious home, but I never took what I got taught for granted, which, makes the, which gives the reason why I, can ex I enjoy explaining Judaism to people. Because I try to always find answers. I question everything from a young age. I questioned everything. That's Chaim. So I have bracha and chayim. I needed somebody with a tov also. Okay? And that's Shira. Shira's all three, honestly. But she's definitely a tov. She's definitely somebody who's very punctual, on time, organized. Everything's to... I'm all over the place. My keys are everywhere. My stuff is everywhere. Because I don't have that tov in me. It's so strong. 
My problem is I'm not critical of myself enough. I say, yeah, it's fine. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm not critical of myself enough. I need to be. We need to strengthen ourselves in all three areas. One of the ways is through marriage. Because when you do get married, there'll be two areas where you're, there's an area where you'll be compatible to your spouse. You need to look and see if there's something that your spouse has that can fill that void within you because that will fill you to your fullest. That's bracha, tov, and chayim. Okay? Bracha means the giving, the chesed personality. Tov is the gvura, the restrictive, disciplined personality, which is very important, self-reflecting, always trying to do what's right. And then there's somebody who looks at things from a deeper level. We need all three. And that's what Isaac said. I know that I'm happy with this child, Esau, because I need that energy in this world. This world needs this energy as well. Can you imagine all Tovs walking around? Imagine the whole world's just Tov. Everyone's disciplined, disciplined, disciplined. Be on time, be on time. We're all a bunch of robots. Then there'll be no love. There'll be no warmth. We need somebody to go out of their comfort zone, beyond themselves. We need that chesed where you go just beyond. Not just doing things because you have to. You're just robots. I don't feel someone's heart. Imagine you had a world which is just Chaims. Everyone's looking at people from a deep level. And, uh, you know, stars and the world. It would be a too difficult world to deal with. You need to ground it. If you had a world of just Chesed, kindness, that can lead to promiscuity. Ah, oh, let's be kind. Right? That's what it says in the Talmud. Chesed can actually lead to harlotry, where somebody gives themselves up. Zona, a, um, a, a, a whore in, in Hebrew is a zona. Somebody that comes actually from a Kedeshah. It's called actually somebody who's too kind because they're giving themselves freely to everyone. See, chesed can be bad. And that's why we need to have a Givura personality, which means that I internalize, I don't just say everything's good, everything's good to the world and I'm at least I'm doing good things and then I don't look internally and say, wait a second, what am I need to fix? I, need, I can't ignore my own reality. So, when it comes to life, you need all three. When it comes to dating, you need to find someone with one of those that you have and one of those that you are missing so that you can come complete. And that's what Isaac saw in Esau. There's some more to this whole discussion, obviously. There's much, much more where Isaac fell short. There was obviously a mistake on his end. Um, but that is the general idea. Esau, yes, appeared to have bad energy, but it was really good. There is good and bad in this world, but bad also at the end of the day will bring light to the world. At the end of the day, bad will also bring light. And if you channel that energy right, you will be able to bring good. Now, uh, the, I'll tell you just quickly, the one mistake that Isaac did have was that Esav got to a point which was so bad, this is what Mikhtar Belial says, he got to a point which was so bad, eventually, that to bless him or give him good means he's going to use it for bad. It's like somebody who's on drugs. The minute you give him money, he's just going to use it for drugs more. He's going to use it more for drugs. That's not a good thing to do. Isaac didn't see that in Esau. That's something which he didn't recognize in Esau. This is what Mikhtar Meliel says, which is where he fell short and why he still gave to him and wanted to bless him. But eventually he blessed Jacob as well. But this should, if you think about it, should have answered almost all of the questions and the, the Bible critiques uh, and the questions that many who are not critiques, just questions that everyone has, can all be answered based on this idea. Uh, it's a beautiful, powerful idea. I taught you a lot tonight. I hope you managed to hold on and learn, remember some of it. But um, the main powerful idea is that we need all three energies. And uh, your aim is to strengthen even the bad that you have or the bad that you see in the world is something that can be channeled for the good and recognize that one day when you face an energetic child, don't don't suppress that energy. No, love that child and know that that child can use that energy for something good. It needs to be calculated, of course, which is where Isaac fell short again. But know your child, love your child and give to them in that way so that they can uh, grow into the best beings that they can be. <laughs>